before dawn Every man has a story And the story goes on From a granddad's eyes To a newborn son form is in my blood We all benefit from Michigan farm families who take pride in perfecting the art and science of growing fresh, high-quality foods and products year after year. Local Michigan farmers nurture what nature gives them, growing some of the most popular foods and products. Did you know that we rank number one in the nation in more than 15 products? In fact, more than 50,000 local farm families help to grow and raise more than 300 different great tasting, high quality, fresh foods and products, making us the second most agriculturally diverse state in the nation. Hello, today I'm speaking with Pamela Ruig, Chair of the Department of Animal Science at my alma mater, Michigan State University. Hello, Pamela. How are you? Very good. Go green. Go white. There we go. Great start. <laughs> uh, so you're the chair. What does that entail? So the chair of an academic department at universities is kind of the CEO of that particular little department. And our department isn't that little, but basically <laughs> all of the faculty report to me and um, the staff um, also as well. And um, so I'm responsible for making sure that our students get educated, that our accounts are balanced, that our animals are well cared for, and um, that we've got impactful research going on. That sounds like you have a lot going on. <laughs> and I, I do have a lot going on. I know from looking up your bio ahead of time that you were at Michigan State and then you weren't for a long time and now you're back. Can you tell me about yeah. your path? Yeah, so I am a native of uh, Mackinac County in the Upper Peninsula. Great. And uh, yeah, my family's been up there since they were cutting down all the trees about 100 years ago. Oh. And yeah, so I've got really deep roots up in the Upper Peninsula and um, always wanted to be a veterinarian. And I never really anticipated that my career path would, would go in this way. So I came to Michigan State uh, many decades ago, was in this department, um, and then went on and got a degree, my veterinary degree from Michigan State as well. So I have two degrees from Michigan State. And then I just had the most um, kind of interesting career path. And I, one thing I think that that brings to me is um, some opportunity to really connect with our students who often go off and have very diverse career paths. But I was in, I've been in private practice. I went back to school at University of California, Davis. I did clinical practice where I'm actually touching large animals. I'm a specialist in dairy cows. Great. Um, for, for eight years and in both the U.S. and then in Canada. Uh -huh. And then I was back here in the vet school. And then I left academia. And I was in technical services consulting for a big company here in Michigan. Uh -huh. I was on farms all over the state for almost five years. Then I spent 20 years at the University of Wisconsin in the dairy science department as a professor in uh, specializing in quality and safety. And then I came back here in um, 2018. That is a wide and varied path. What do you have as experience that you think is helping you as a chair now and helping you connect with students? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is, a the majority, we have a lot of students. So we have about, I don't know, 400 and 
60 or 80 most years, undergrads. And um, our students come in with a wide variety of backgrounds. And I came in with a similar background. I'm from a rural area, very rural area, but I, I'm not from a dairy farm. And here I've gone on and done my career in the dairy industry. And my time at MSU was really um, instrumental in that. I worked at the dairy farm out here. I got engaged in dairy club. I met a lot of peers, many of whom I still see now that I'm back here. And that's that's great fun. Yeah. And um, so I think, you know, when I look at the motivation of our students for what they want to do, I have a lot of experiences that would be um, help, help me to kind of be able to give them advice and impact their paths. And, you know, on a broader level, our students mostly have contact with our faculty. Mm-hmm. And so a big part of my job is making sure that our faculty have what they need in order to effectively teach our students, do their research, and interact with our stakeholders. Our vets have told us that a lot of people getting educated in being a veterinarian right now are women. Is that also true at yeah. Michigan State? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. And so um, in the veterinary school, I don't know the proportion of the admitted class. It's female. I assume it's somewhere around 80 to 90, somewhere in that. But I'd say our undergraduate population in animal science here is about 80 to 85% female most years. So um, it's a different population than when I came to Michigan State. In fact, my class um, in animal sciences here, which at that time was actually, they had three departments, dairy science, animal science, and poultry science. But at the time I was a student here, it was mostly male and it was um, a lot of, uh, and mostly kids with farm backgrounds. And today it's different. We still have the same motivation of these these kids, these students, to work with animals, to work in production agriculture, to work with horses or work with companion animals even. But they're coming from a much more diverse background. That has a really big impact on our uh, ability to, uh, or, or the type of the teaching we need to do. So, um, yeah, my class at Michigan State in the vet school, in when I enrolled in 1980, was 50% female, and it was the first class that was absolutely equal. I remember the dean, Dean Welser, coming into our class and telling us that the first day of vet school. So that shift has happened since about 1980, where you have a predominant amount. But when I got out of vet school, it was unusual for women to be working in dairy, and um, pretty much throughout my career, um, there weren't too many role models ahead of me for for trying to figure out if I was going to actually be able to do the things I was interested to do. Now, I understand why there aren't as many people in it that are from farm backgrounds, because there aren't as many people with farm backgrounds, but is the amount uh, of women in it just uh, to the same percentage that there are more women in higher education right now, or is there something particular about veterinary medicine that is attracting women? Well, I, I remember I'm in the animal science department here, and and so um, you, speaking to the the veterinary trends, uh, I might not be the best person right now, even though I'm a female veterinarian. But there's a lot of things that people talked about. Uh, one is the relatively lower salaries, um, uh, as compared to other degrees that go on for that take as long to get. Because to go to vet school, you have to get an undergraduate degree and then a veterinary degree. Um, the debt load um, mm-hmm. 
other issues, economic issues are a lot of it. That does always play a role in almost everything, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> what are the issues that animal science are dealing with right now at the university level and at the larger level? Yeah, so one of the big issues that we, we run into is as compared to many other degrees, it is outrageously expensive to um, maintain animal science programs and veterinary programs as well. Because you have all the, first of all, we have many species we serve, we have many industries we serve. Um, you know, we have faculty working in dairy, about a third of our faculty are actually involved in dairy because the dairy industry is so big mm-hmm. in Michigan. Um, we have faculty involved in beef, uh, both in feedlot and cow-calf, and, and then some, we have people involved in kind of environmental stewardship, swine, uh, uh, the um, sheep industry, poultry, companion animals. So it's a really diverse major. It's not like saying I want to go into accounting, mm-hmm. you know, uh, where you have um, oh, there's different types of accounting, but you don't need to have different types of computers to learn about that. Yes. <laughs> those different types of accounting. So it's a very expensive major um, to maintain an infrastructure to deliver um, the type of training that we want to deliver, and because the students are coming in with less experience with animals, and because we want to send them out workforce ready, at least entry level ready, we need to um, have a fair bit of hands-on experience in our first couple of years of undergraduate, so we can move them or encourage them into going to experiential learning, things like internships out in the real world, as they get toward the end of their four years here. So... um, it, if you look at the amount of cost that mean or the degree that it costs to maintain the infrastructure to do that, when the um, university administrators are trying to balance their budgets, of course, um, we kind of stick out as being pretty expensive <laughs> program to maintain. And uh-huh. so, you know, educating people that are balancing those budgets at the university level and about the importance of maintaining these facilities is a uh, You also were talking about your deep roots in the Upper Peninsula. When we were visiting the UP a few years ago, and my family has always gone camping there because that was what, uh-huh. growing up on a dairy farm, that's what we went and did, obviously. Yep. But uh, when we were there, some of the locals were saying that a lot of people from the Lower Peninsula had never even been to the Upper Peninsula. When you talk about the Upper Peninsula, what kind of questions do people ask you about your hometown? You know, well, I'm from the eastern UP, so a lot of people are familiar with Mackinac Island and um, Sault Ste. Marie, the Sioux Locks. Mainly when people ask me, because the part that I'm from, um, it has so many tourists, and everybody goes through St. Ignace Mm -hmm. uh, when you're going to the UP. A lot of people ask me about where to stay, where to eat, what to do, (laughs) like general tourism questions. Um, the other thing that uh, people, I think, don't understand very well about um, many parts of the eastern UP or the UP in general is there's a really large um, Native American community there, mm-hmm. which has had a really significant impact on the culture in those regions. And people are generally surprised when I say that. My high school that I went to was about 50% Native American. And that's 5-0% Native American. And, um, you know, you've got the, many of the tribes up there and um, 
I think I get a lot of questions about really kind of how that's integrated because they're really integrated into the communities and have a big impact in those communities. That certainly would be different. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that percentage. So when you were growing up, was this a huge part of the culture too? I mean, in the larger community? Yeah, but uh, yes, it it, it really was. Although because um, they have more economic um, opportunities today with the casinos and things like that, they certainly have a lot more ability to influence communities positively because they have more economic activity. There's more jobs. Um, On the animal side of it, in your picture that in the article that you wrote about uh, welcome from the incoming chair, you're holding a cat. And we have talked about other kinds of animals. What kind of animals are a part of your life? Well, right now, what I've got right now in this job is I have two cats and a dog. Wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, and um, that's what I have right now. I've had, uh, because I'm so busy traveling in this particular job, I grew up with um, horses as well. Oh, great. Yeah, and um, but I I certainly don't have enough time right now, Um, and I'm really glad we've got our equine teaching and research center out here, and we'll be having beautiful little foals out here pretty soon and the rest of these farms out here kind of give me my fix (laughs) on these other species (laughs) and I of course my career is in the dairy industry I absolutely love dairy cows and and when you ask if they're a part of my life absolutely even though I don't have my own farm Uh, well, as I say about calves, they never get less cute. It's never like one is born and I'm like, meh, it's just worn off. No, they're adorable. (laughs) Well, you should come out and look at our lambs as well. They look like stuffed animals. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. And picking them up, they're so much easier to pick up than calves. (laughs) It absolutely is. Absolutely. I'm in full agreement on that. Uh, what do you like to do when you're not working? You mentioned that you travel a lot for work. Yeah, so what I do a lot of weekends is I drive to the UP. Great. <laughs> I, have a, <laughs> I have a second, I have a cabin up there. Oh, nice. And, um, it's just 10 miles west of the bridge, and I do a lot of water sports. I um, do a lot of kayaking. I um, do a lot of hiking. I, um, I'm an outdoors person and I think that probably has to do with my roots in the upper peninsula. I am also an outdoors person and love all of those things. And part of what I love about Michigan is, uh, the weather is bad sometimes, but it's almost never so bad that you can't do things. Yeah, absolutely. When you go kayaking, have you tried winter kayaking? No, I have not. I haven't either. I'm too scared. It sounds terrible, but I know that people do it. <laughs> yeah, and I am probably not going to do that. <laughs> the consequences <laughs> seem steep. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, my, my uh, cabin is on Lake Michigan. That's where um, my kayak lives. <laughs> and uh, right now it's frozen. I was there yesterday. <laughs> and uh, there's no winter kayaking in front of my place. <laughs> You're right. That doesn't sound like any fun on Lake Michigan at all. I certainly have a deep respect for the lake. <laughs> um, when you're traveling for work, where do your travels take you? Well, I have, um, and most of this has been prior to joining MSU, but I'm still doing some of this. Um, I have worked in 39 countries. Wow. 
Yeah, so the, the area I work in, which is preventive health care of dairy cows and reducing antibiotics and increasing milk quality, there's not too many of us in the world anymore that do that. And so I've been all around the world because that's such an important issue, working in that area. And um, uh, and I do training as well. I, I uh, was scheduled to be in Italy in June to teach with the University of Milan, and we'll just have to see right. how that goes. Yeah. Do some training in, uh, of veterinarians and and uh, agricultural professionals, but I just don't know if that that's still on. I was also I've spent a lot of time in China um, over the years. I probably spent on average about five weeks a year in China oh, the nice. last five six years until I came here and um, working with kind of their emerging dairy industry over there as well. Where do you recommend that people go? Obviously, if you've worked in 39 countries, you've been to a lot more than a lot of people have. Is there some place that you like to go back to or that you tell everyone you have to go here? Well, so I have, because a lot of the areas I've worked in have been um, developing countries. If we're talking tourism, you really don't want to go to a developing country most of the time unless you're pretty adventuresome. But what I tell everybody is um, if you're going to go to Europe, Everyone should go to Italy and spend a couple weeks in Italy because the food is good. Um, they have fantastic cheese, pork, everything's good. All the food's good. And it's, as far as the interesting things to see, the, the density of things to see is really um, phenomenal. There's just, you can't go anywhere and not find interesting things. If you want to go into South America, I really recommend Chile. Um, Chile is like South America for beginners. It's really well organized. It's beautiful. It's safe. And um, I've been down there a lot for the, or, or probably four times for working. And uh, they have a really interesting dairy industry. It's kind of like the Central Valley of California was probably 50, 60 years ago. Neat. That is always so fun to get other people's perspectives on places to go to. And I like your... Uh, density of things to do it's so easy to get around and see different things much like the Mackinac area of Michigan <laughs> yeah exactly yeah if you're going to stay in Michigan I recommend going up north and up north to me is you got to get drive across the bridge <laughs> uh so favorite places to go in Michigan then obviously over the bridge I'm guessing to your cabin but we're not all going there that is absolutely my favorite. Eastern Upper Peninsula. Actually, anywhere in the Upper Peninsula is my favorite place. Oh. Um, and uh, anywhere on Lake Michigan, I'm prone to the Lake Michigan side um, but uh, of the UP. But there is nothing like sitting in front of a campfire on the shores of Lake Michigan watching that sunset. Uh, I got a, this is, uh, ridiculous, but this summer we were there and it was a magical sunset on Lake Michigan. It was so beautiful. And I took a picture with my family in front of it and I keep it on my phone and I look at it all the time because number one, I love sunsets. And number two, I love Lake Michigan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, it's just really special. So farming and agriculture, everything leads to food. You mentioned that you love the food in Italy because of the good cheese and pork, but what kind of food do you eat on a regular basis? What do you like? I am a huge consumer of dairy products. Um, <laughs> and I am most definitely a carnivore. Um, so, so, 
you know, if I've got a choice on a menu in a restaurant and a good filet mignon is on there, I'm going to get that unless it's competing with a lamb chop or a <laughs> pork shank um, or maybe some sort of chicken cordon bleu. So I am definitely a carnivore. Um, uh, but, you know, um, probably my all-time favorite food, pasty. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we are so such Michiganders. It is so... <laughs> uh, they're really hard to beat. Um, they are so wonderful. Um, and I love your uh, promotion of the dairy industry. We always joke, um, since we're dairy farmers, I'm like, I'm no hypocrite. There, I don't think a day goes by that I don't consume a dairy product all day long every day. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, just shameless promotion. Um. <laughs> do you have a place, do you make your own pasties or do you buy them from somewhere? I normally buy them. I can make them. I have made them, but it is a heck of a lot of work. Oh I, the gosh, recipes yes. normally make like 50. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I do, seriously. The recipes are, uh, the recipes that I have are like massive volume. And um, it's just much easier, you know, up there where I'm from, you can choose from six different vendors within a five-minute drive. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm a purchaser of pasties most of the time. Yes, I love when people make them for me. Um, I love buying them at places. Uh, I feel like they perfected it. I don't need to improve on anything there. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm completely in, a, in complete agreement. <laughs> Um, tell me about your family and friends. Who do you like to hang out with when you are other places? Yeah, so I have, um, I have a husband who lives here with me. I have, um, two 20-something sons, neither of whom lives in Michigan. Um, my oldest son is a journalist, a working journalist. He works for the Bakersfield, California, in Bakersfield, California. Great. And covers politics, um, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, my younger son, who was born in Lansing, but moved to Madison, Wisconsin when he was uh, three, um, lives in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, he works for a company called Fastenal. My husband's from a dairy farm in Wisconsin. I met him when I was in practice, and so my husband's family is just one of these families that most of them still live in Wisconsin, and um, so we and me being from the Upper Peninsula, which is connected to Wisconsin, I'm pretty connected to Wisconsin as well. So our family kind of goes back and forth. What did your husband think about moving to Michigan after living in Wisconsin for so long? Did he say, great, well, it's not too far? Before. Oh, okay, we, good. He lived here six years before. He, so when I lived, when I was working for the University of Wisconsin-Madison, the whole time I was working there, which was almost 20 years, I had behind the door in my office a Spartan flag up. My husband will wear Spartan shirts, but my husband would never hang a Spartan flag. He is definitely a badger. <laughs> <laughs> He'll wear one if he gets it as a gift, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you met in Wisconsin, uh, was it when you were practicing on his farm? Yeah, his dad was one of my clients. Oh, great. Did you like him right away? We met in a dairy barn. Oh, that's so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we absolutely met, you know, probably next to a cow. Um, yeah, we really did. Did you uh, get married in Wisconsin, too, in a dairy barn? 
No, we got married on Mackinac Island. Oh my gosh, how great. Did you love it? I've seen great pictures of weddings there. Yeah, it was, and it was way different back then. Um, it was it was actually affordable for regular people. <laughs> regular people, like the people listening to this podcast. <laughs> yep. Um, what are your personal and business goals here? We're in the beginning of 2020. What are you looking forward to this year? Yeah, you know, my, my overall goal has never changed, although my jobs that I've you know, it had a change, but my overall goal is to be impactful in the industries I serve. So, you know, I want to help our, our MSU Animal Science Department um, produce students that are going to be in the right careers. I want to position this department so that we can serve the needs of the agricultural stakeholders for years and years to come. I want my faculty to feel valued and um, feel like they're contributing something worthwhile. So at this stage of my, my career, I'm really looking to have, um, and the reason I took this job is I was looking to have an impact beyond my own career, and I can do that by helping other people um, be the best they can be. So that, that's my overall personal or business goal uh, overall. And that's what I work for every day. And, and I guess I'd say the other thing that that I spend a lot of time trying to do is um, affect the climate mm-hmm. to be re- to be respectful, to let people know they're valued, to feel empathy for um, people. You know, if you look at our farming communities or our rural communities in general, a lot of struggles out there. You know, I grew up in a in a very rural area. My family, my own family, has. Um, uh, small businesses, that's what they've done. I understand that. And that's not easy. So to try to help as much as I can to make um, make a difference, that's what I try to do. Well, I'm really glad you're at Michigan State doing it. And thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you, Carla. It's been just a really enjoyable conversation. I look forward to meeting you in person. Um, I don't know, maybe at Lake Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might see me paddling by on my stand-up paddleboard. So. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pamela. Yeah, bye-bye. Thank you again for joining the Michigan Grown, Michigan Great podcast. It's indeed great to get to know the Michigan farmers behind local products in our marketplace. Supporting local farmers in your community is easy when you live in Michigan. We all benefit from the bounty of locally grown foods fresh from our state's family farmers. Thank you to Bex for helping us tell the stories of farmers through permission to use the Henningsons Why I Farm song. It's an honor that we share to highlight real people and real farmers who are passionate about agriculture. Join us again soon as we discover more farm stories directly from local farm families. And to find more information about Michigan food and farming systems, please visit michigangrown.org. It's more than just a little-